Magna Carta Bill of Rights The Constitution, what's it worth? You know they're gonna grind us down uh, Until it really hurts Is this a sovereign nation? Or just a police state? Or it gets too late. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 64 of Stand and Deliver. I'm Kimberly Miller, Executive Director for Citizens for Free Speech. And I'm Mary Baker. I am the National Training Director for CFFS and also the creator of the Citizen Ninja Way, which is a uh, boot camp activism training. Today we have a special guest with us. And let me first of all tell you why we brought, brought in a special guest. Um, as a lot of us know, there's murmurs of masks and vaccine mandates returning. And um, so we wanted to invite um, one of the uh, best experts in the country on this issue. And so we've asked Leslie Manukian, who is president and founder of Health Freedom Defense Fund, um, which is an organization that is dedicated to bodily autonomy, which is one of our uh, most basic human rights to join us today to help us talk through this issue and um, arm ourselves with information and courage and conviction to stand for our um, autonomy or our sovereignty as individuals. So welcome, Leslie. Thank you for making the time to join us. And um, if you wouldn't mind, just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background and um, maybe some things that you're excited about right now that you're working on. Okay. Yeah, I have a very um, different background. Um, I, certainly from our parents' generation, right, where they got one job and they stayed in that career for 50 or 60 <laughs> years. Um, I graduated from college after about four years, went to business school. Then I went to go work on Wall Street for Goldman Sachs, um, got transferred to London, and then went to go and work for a client named Alliance Capital. So I was a portfolio manager, ran the European growth portfolio management and research business for Alliance Capital for about seven years. And, um, um, and then I became a homeopath. And then I became a filmmaker and made an award-winning documentary on vaccines. And my most recent foray has been into the world of um, uh, charities. I run a nonprofit, um, Health Freedom Defense Fund, healthfreedomdefense.org, which is committed to instilling in the public consciousness the idea that we all are born with inalienable rights, in particular to bodily autonomy, and then to also codify that in law. That's our overarching mission. And so we've been super active in the last three years because there's been so much work to do with um, um, educating people about their rights, um, ad helping them learn how to advocate for them, and then litigating when those rights are infringed. And so we've sued we filed, I think it's over 12 lawsuits in the last three years, which is a huge amount because lawsuits <laughs> take up so much time and energy. It's incredible. I had no idea how um, burdensome they were, <laughs> but um, we've done that. And um, we were responsible for removing the federal travel mask mandate, as you mentioned. And, um, and we've sued the Los Angeles Unified School District twice, and we just had a huge win against them this week. Um, we've stopped universities from uh, refusing to accomplish to accommodate religious exemptions and religious freedoms. We've had many, many successes. And um, we just do this work because we do not want to see this kind of crazy dystopian world that's being foisted upon us actually materialize into something hard that our children and grandchildren 
are forced to live in. And so that's why we do the work we do. And we've had lots of litigation because there's been lots of reason to push back in the last few years. Yeah, great, great introduction to give everyone a sense of your expertise and your heart behind all of this work. Um, I mean, go just going back to 2020 when all of a sudden we were told, you know, don't wear masks, wear masks, they don't work, you know, and then um, the the vaccine and, you know, it's safe and effective and all of that. Back then we were super focused on the health significance of all of this, you know, what it would mean if you didn't wear a mask, what it would mean if you did, what it would mean if you didn't have the vaccine or had the vaccine. And anyway, so we rolled into 2022 and here we are now in 2023 with, as Kimberly said, murmurs, you know, of what's coming up uh, and threats, you know, that we're going to be back again with these mask mandates and so forth. And what we think is that it's really important at this point that we shift the conversation away from that wearing masks is unhealthy or healthy and actually move it to the greater uh, conversation and the larger issues of sovereignty, rights, freedom, and uh, liberty. And, and so that's where we'd like to start the conversation at this high level. Um, and what is the difference between all of those and the interconnectedness of these these words? Um, we learn them in school, but we sort of forgotten what they actually mean and then how they're applied and how they're being uh, manipulated and used against us. And it would be great if you were to weave in the work that you've been doing in your in your lawsuits, because that really will show how one can defend against the, this oppression. Yeah. It's, it's such an interesting concept, you know, Mary. Um, most of us don't even understand like what what is the origin and what is the ethical principle upon which this great nation was founded. And you have to just look back to our Declaration of Independence and our other founding documents that were written, the Federalist Papers and others like that, and the writings of people like Patrick Henry, um, you know, and other um, heroes of mine. John Locke, yeah. What's that? John Locke. Yeah, and John Locke, of course. Um, I love my son when he was in high school, you know, he was studying the um, philosophers of the enlightenment. And he said, I forget who he was saying. He's like, you know, they're just wrong. They're just wrong. He didn't mean John Locke or William Kant. I, or, um, um, I forget who he was talking about, but it was the people who basically said that utilitarianism, the idea that the greater good is what's important are just wrong because of course the greater good is only made up of individuals and you don't, two wrongs don't make a right. You can never harm one individual in service to the group and call that ethical, right? That's right. ridiculous. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So going back to the Declaration of Independence, the Declaration of Independence says very specifically that our rights come from our creator. Mm -hmm. Essentially that by virtue of being born human, you, you possess inalienable or unalienable, however you want to say it, rights, mm -hmm. which cannot be infringed. They cannot be taken away. They are born to you. They are innate to you. And these are, you know, basic things. We all know that you shouldn't kill other people. We all know that people should be honored and loved and cared for and appreciated for who they are, right? We know this. We don't steal. We don't do all these things because you know what? It violates people's rights because it's just, it's, it's common law wrong. It's immoral. It's, you know, like the 10 commandments. These are just basic principles that pretty much all of humanity, except for, you know, a small percentage of psychopaths and sociopaths agree on. 
And so our founders were absolutely adamant that our rights were not limited to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that those were just among our rights, but that our rights came from our creator and as such could not be contravened by government. That's what's so important. So when someone tells you the government has the right to do this, the government does not have any rights. Government has power and authority um, and oftentimes uses that power and authority to infringe our rights. But in my way of thinking, it's not a right that they possess or wield. It's power. And to me, the most important thing that we as citizens can, can do and that I think Americans have failed miserably at in the last hundred years is to actually hold government accountable, right? Push back, defend our rights, whether it's to free speech or freedom of assembly or freedom to petition the, the government or um, freedom of, uh, of religion, whatever it might be. It's up to us to actually hold them accountable. And remember what Ben Franklin said, right? When someone said, uh, Mr. Franklin, when they were coming out of the, um, I think it was the Constitutional mm -hmm. Convention, Mr. Franklin, what do we have? What do we have? What's our government? And someone said, you, madam, you've got a, he, he said, madam, you've got a constitutional, you've got a republic if you can keep it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. yep. And the thing is, we can only keep it if we're a moral and educated society. And, you know, that's, that's seriously debatable at present. So that's kind of how I think about it. And in our lawsuits, we sometimes will reference these founding documents. More often than that, we're more focused on more recent um, writings and case law, but the principles are the same. And that is the focus of Health Freedom Defense Fund is to actually get us to a point where everybody appreciates that not just masks, I mean, masks are intrusive enough, but what about mandating injections? Mm -hmm. This is insanity. If that's not medical rape, what is? I mean, that's what it is. Yeah. When someone conditions your employment on submission to a medical intervention that you don't want, that's mm -hmm. an assault. That's what mm -hmm. that is. A hundred percent. Well, and so many people are just adopting this position of non-neutrality. And, and that is, you know, they're accepting limited speech or compelled speech or censored speech, but that goes with action too. You know, that we are limited or somehow compelled towards a particular action. And your comment about for the greater good, or people say, you know, what's the harm um, or you're so selfish, you know, for thinking that way, or, you know, there's great harm. And this is what it's, it's more than harm to the body. It's harm to the soul, to the principles of liberty. This is what we need to get people to shift to and defend and stand up and believe in. 100%. You yeah. know, I think that Americans have become, um, you know, people use the term sheeple. <laughs> They've become sort of sheep-like in a lot of ways in that they, you know, just want to stay within the herd. They, they have tall poppy syndrome. They don't want to stand up and be counted. Cancel culture has um, developed to a place where especially young people don't want to get canceled. They don't want to be singled out. They don't want to be different. Um, and they have forgotten that, that we're supposed to be able to speak freely in this country, that that's why we actually have the first amendment to, to protect our right to free speech. And that most countries don't have that. They do not even have a bill of rights that protects their individual rights. So in Britain, they don't have free speech. In Europe, they don't have free speech. In fact, right now, the European government is moving to um, ban or to actually censor social media companies and fine them if they don't censor us. Hmm. 
this is insanity, right? That's so insanity. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And and the, the point is that that there's that our, our kids have been indoctrinated for decades to accept that the notion that society is more important than they are. Now we have to go back to I mentioned the Enlightenment already. So it was Rousseau and others like that who were talking about utilitarianism and that, that the greater good is most important. But you know what the, the biggest trial ever conducted on utilitarianism was the Nuremberg trials. And at the end of the Nuremberg trials, which were held, of course, after the Nazi atrocities during World War II, the Nuremberg Code was developed. And what did the Nuremberg Code say? Well, the Nuremberg Code said that you have rights and freedoms principle among them is to not be the subject of an unwanted medical experiment. That's one of the most important mm -hmm. things. And what have we done to people? Like we've strayed so far from that. There've been all these international treaties supporting this. And yet people have seemed to forget it. In fact, I just saw, you guys won't believe this. Maybe you will. You've already read it, but there was a um, poll out, I think a Rasmussen poll recently that said that 70, what is it? Fewer than 50% of American Democrats believe in the right to free speech. Mm -hmm. a, a good portion of them, actually more than 50%, believe that the federal government should have the right to censor us. Now, mm -hmm. this, is, this is so contradictory to everything that this country was built upon. It's just hard to even fathom. And yet that's where we've evolved to. And you know what? Before COVID, roughly equal um, members of both parties said that I think it was around 70% of Americans said that the government should not be able to monitor or regulate free speech. And now fewer than half of Democrats say that, that the government should be curtailed. And so you're not going to have people defending it. Exactly. And so this yeah. is the issue. And so yeah. you're 100% right, Mary, that this is where we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we've got to really talk to our young people about why it's so important. Mm -hmm. Like, would you, even if it helped all the children in your, all your friend group, would you lock one in the bathroom? Right, those, we, yeah, those we, questions that get you to think critically about it and logically about yeah. it rather than emotionally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, because the propaganda and the nudging that's going on is telling you you should feel guilty, you should feel selfish, you're killing grandma, you know, yeah, by not doing that. And there's this emotional reaction to that, and then they give you the solution, you know, here. If you wear this mask, if you take this vaccine, if you do all these boosters, if you stand six feet apart, you know, if we compel your speech and compel your action, then you are, you are participating and doing good things and you will feel good about it. And, you know, and then the, the pressure to virtual signal and all of those things, it's just driving the sheep yeah. uh, off the cliff. And so... Uh, those of us who understand this have a personal responsibility to stand up, defend and talk about this and challenge people. And so, you know, how can we how can we let help people figure out how to do this, how to have a voice and how to defend it? Yeah. So I think the most important thing we can do is ask questions, mm -hmm. ask questions of our family and friends when they go along with these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Um so first of all, we have to recognize that we and all of our family and friends who have bought into this have been subjected to psychological warfare for the last three and a half years. I don't use that term lightly, but that is exactly what it is. You enumerated many of the different methods that they used to 
control us in the last few years, all to try to make us be virtuous citizens because who doesn't want to be virtuous? So don't be a grandma killer, do your part, mm -hmm. you know, don't be that guy, all these kinds of things that they tried to, you know, use to influence us. So a little compassion, right? That we are actually, um, we've been victims of psychological warfare. That's what's going on right now. It's very important for people to understand that. And then there's several ways that you can bypass that. Um, it's not easy. It's very difficult, usually head on to just argue with someone or get them to believe, as Mark Twain said, that they had been lied to. Um, it's easier to, to, to fool a man than to convince him he's been fooled. Um, but what you can do is you can ask questions. Well, would you do this? You know, okay, you want everybody to be masked, but if your mask works, why do I need to wear one? Mm -hmm. If your vaccine works, why do I have to get one? Right? What difference does it make? And if and if it doesn't work, then what's the argument for making anybody get one? Right? Mm -hmm. So there's there are these logical ways that you can kind of address it. Um, but then the other things are jokes, right? So um jokes, and I think actually, you know, you said not to be emotional, true, but I think emotion is where people more people are moved. So wait, so you don't think I should be able to go in there because I'm not vaccinated. So would you, you know lock me in a room if you thought it benefited society, how long would you do that for? Would you do that to my little kid? Would you do that to your child? You know, like, would you, if you had a disabled child, if you had an immunocompromised child, would you hold your other children back in order to protect that one? You know, where would you, yeah, well, right? I think the emotion part of it is important when that's the relational piece of trying to relate to somebody who is feeling emotional about it because yeah. they bought into the fear, for example, or the guilt or the shame. And so, yes, responding to them on an emotional level like that is the only way you're going to get through because at this point, facts don't even matter to these people. No. And the other thing is they say humor, humor and mockery, actually. So <laughs> when you mock the people who um, are driving around in their car in their mask, other people can see the lunacy of that. <laughs> and yeah. so they say that, you know, mockery and, um, and humor are good ways to bypass it. Of course, you don't want to mock someone to their face. You would mock a third party or something. You would never want to do that. But that these are ways that we can actually try and bypass some of the programming that people have been subjected to. Now, let's just talk a little bit about the um, use the emergency use authorization, because I think that that's often used by people who believe they know it, you know, they, they have the answer. Uh, it's, it's a, um, what is it? It's a EUA. It's an yes. EUA. And because of that, we're compelled to do, to do this. And so let's talk a bit about that, because that's, that's getting more into the legal realm and people are very intimidated by that. Yeah. So emergency use authorized products. Well, first of all, there's federal code of regulations. And in the federal code, it specifically says that emergency use authorized products are experimental by definition. Okay. As such, the recipients or the users of experimental products of EUA products must have the right to accept or refuse. It's right. very interesting. Mm -hmm. And so we actually, um, the Los Angeles Unified School District in March of 2021 mandated the shots when they were still designated emergency use authorization. Okay. That's all they'd been designated. And we said, that's illegal. You can't do that. 
And so we sued them. And you know what? The next day they rescinded their policy and they said, oh, we were just, it was just a, a guideline. It was just a recommendation. It wasn't an actual mandate. <laughs> um, but my point is that it actually says in, you know, federal code that this is illegal. What people need to understand is that these were pushed on us under the aegis of the PREP Act. So the PREP Act was, follow, was um, passed in 2005 and the PREP Act is what authorizes public health emergency declarations. And when a public health emergency has been declared, then any company that makes a, what's called a medical countermeasure is provided a liability shield for those products. And all the tests, all the masks, almost all the masks, I mean like 99% of them, and all the shots were only emergency use authorized. But one of the ways that you can tell that this was actually a psychological operation is because they were pushing them and forcing them on you, even though they knew darn well that that was illegal, right? right. So we pushed and we pushed on this and they had to back down. They had to recognize that emergency use authorized shots were not um, legal. But the point is, I think that you're getting at is that they were using the fear and the idea of an emergency to actually push the public into a desired um, behavior pattern, which was submission. Right. So there's, is there a difference between legal, legal rights and unalienable rights? I don't think people understand that either. Well, I think that your inalienable rights are truly, um, um, in, you know, infinite, why can't I think of the word infinite? They're infinite. They don't stop. Right. It's, mm -hmm. um, they only stop where you infringe on someone else's rights. So you have the right to go out and scream if you want outside, but if it's bothering someone else or disturbing their peace or something, then you can't infringe on that right. So you have the basic human right to freedom of speech and screaming, <laughs> but at some point you have to be um, cognizant of the fact that you're affecting other human beings. Um, and so that's where, uh, you know, an inalienable human rights are basically all the just basic rights that we think we should all possess. The right to direct our lives, decide what goes into our bodies, how we're going to bring up our children, how we um, interact in our homes, you know, how we um, run a business, um, what we want to do for our, our livelihood, all these kinds of things. These are rights that um, we possess by virtue of being born human. And then there are legal rights, but these legal rights have been even though the Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights say that our rights are not, um, all our rights aren't enumerated in the Bill of Rights and in these other documents, they don't say that they're limited to the ones that are enumerated here. They say that among them are these, right? So those are really a protection, a restraint on the government, on what the government mm -hmm. can do to you, not on the rights that you have. So it's not like this exposition of how many rights you have. It's a, an, uh, a, you know, a declaration of what the government can't do to you very, very clearly, but it's not limited to those that are enumerated there. So there's this like, it's, it's kind of confusing, but the government shouldn't be able to make you do anything essentially, as long as you're not hurting anybody else. And that's the way it used to be. But what's happened is we've had all of this administrative creep, which is the administrative branch of government. Um, all the federal agencies that sit under the executive branch have just grown out of, you know, out of whack, right? It was never intended to be a branch of government. And um, these people, it's, it's headed by a political appointees, bureaucrats, 
um, unelected, unaccountable bureaucrats, essentially. And they have certain rules they have to follow, but they've basically become little kings in their fiefdoms and, um, and they're a problem. And so what's happening is our rights are being eroded, even though those rights are inalienable. So it's like our legal rights are sort of undermining our inalienable ones because it's very hard for us to defend them. That's why. And because the courts have not done a very good job of actually upholding the principles of our founders. That's right. What a mess. And would you call that, is that what you would call lawfare or is that something else? What's going on? With no, I don't, I wouldn't call that lawfare. Lawfare. Okay. Yeah. I would call that um, subversion of the American dream. That's what I would call that. Mm -hmm. I think that there have been forces at work for more than a century, well more than a century, uh, focused on undermining the principles that underlie this great nation, specifically freedom, mm -hmm. you know, the, the liberties that we've discussed, these freedoms, the inalienable rights, mm -hmm. um, American independence and um, resilience and responsibility. One of the things that Americans have always prided themselves on is that we don't rely on the government to take care of us, mm -hmm. right? That we go out and we earn a living. The American dream is something that's available to everyone. My grandfather fled Armenia in I think it was 1913 to come to the United States because it was either get slaughtered by the Turks or lose all of your um, property to the Russians who were taking over the property. And so his family got him out and he came with nothing but the shirt on his back and he made his mm -hmm. way here and he died pretty well off. That's why he came through Ellis Island. Like, right. He came here. No one took care of him. He didn't get any handouts. He didn't get a phone. <laughs> He didn't get free accommodation, you know, I mean, I mean, maybe yeah. for a couple days or something, but I mean, like, I mean, it's crazy. And so everything, this, it used to be this like great gift to come to America. And now it's some right that people possess. It's crazy. So I think what's happened is that every, everything has been subverted and it's been subverted very deliberately by members of Congress. And most importantly, most importantly, by special interests and private foundations. So have you guys heard of the Reese committee hearings? Yeah. I don't haven't read into them, but I've heard of okay. it. Yeah. It's so very important. You guys in the 1960s, uh, I can't remember. It was, I think it was Congressman Reese. He held hearings investigating the activities of the private foundations. Hmm. Okay. The big private foundations like Rockefeller and Carnegie and MacArthur and Ford and all these guys. And why did he investigate them? Because in 1913, one of the worst years in American history, mm -hmm. they passed the 17th, 16th Amendment and the 17th Amendment. Mm -hmm. And those two things allowed um, our senators to be selected instead of by the state legislatures to go and represent the states in D.C. Mm -hmm. as a check against the power of the federal government. They were popularly elected. So that destroyed their proper role. And the mm -hmm. other piece was to make it legal for the federal government to tax us. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. When they passed that amendment, they created a loophole for private foundations. So while you and I are taxed and saddled with taxes, the super rich get to grow their wealth tax-free in their nonprofits, essentially, and, mm -hmm. and direct it outside of the, the eyes of government. And so what ended up happening was Reese held an investigation and he had this guy named Norman Dodd, who was this attorney of impeccable repute, go and visit with all of these um, 
these uh, foundations. And they, he said to them, you know, what, what is your purpose? What are you guys trying to do? And they actually told him, install collectivism in America. This was in the 1950s or 60s, you guys. And Mm -hmm. so we have now, we're 70 years later, Mm -hmm. and they have been subverting the ethical principles that underlie this this country for that entire time. This is why our children are being taught collectivism, why why there's so much of a tendency towards socialism amongst young people, and um, and why they're pushing for all these things that seem to conflict with what you and I believe to be the American dream. Right. And just to wrap this up in a bow, why would they want to do this? Why does that serve them to do this? Um, well, I liken it to um, a kind of war analogy or war strategy. If you're in a battle, do you want to have 300 million fronts that you have to fight on? Or do you want to only have a few fronts you want to fight on? So if you can kind of herd the people, especially the young people, into a way of thinking, then you can control them very easily through the um, the eco chamber that they live in in their social media eco chamber, right? Uh, you know, and so that's easy to do. So you're changing the culture in a very slow way so that they don't push back against the authoritarian ways um, that you are grabbing more power under the guise of doing good. So they use all of these ideas. Oh, we're going to, you know, make it more sustainable. Uh, We're going to make it more equitable, more diverse and more inclusive. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're going to sell socialism to you as a really good thing. And people buy into it because they don't know their history, because they've been dumbed down, because they've been fed garbage. Literally, our food system is so bad and they don't have the ability to actually think as well as they used to. And so what they're doing is that they are subverting our educational system and our cultural fabric in order to get us to do their own bidding while they take more and more power and we don't fight back. And resources. And I, and and can I just say, and the whole purpose, why are they doing this? Yeah. Because they want to destroy. And I know this may sound crazy people. I know it may sound crazy, but I a hundred percent believe it's true that we are in the midst of the controlled demolition of Western civilization and the Mm -hmm. United States in particular. And the U S is the most important piece of this because the U S stands in the way of a one world government, the new world order without the U S being taken down, they can't achieve their, their vision. And this is why we are under so much attack and why you have all of these, so much craziness. Yeah. Right. So well, just, to, just to quickly give you a, um, an image, we spent quite a few years in San Diego, California. My husband and I raised our children there and we used to go to SeaWorld and we used to watch the Shamu show, you know, the killer whale show. And I said, oh my gosh, they're just trying to create Shamus born in SeaWorld who have no concept of what it's like to swim in the open ocean and be free um, of any restraints, free to make their choices about, you know, eating and mating and et cetera. And this is what they're creating, children who basically are like Shamu born in SeaWorld. That's- Mary, that's why they push masks on these little kids because these because the masks dehumanize us, right? Then we no longer see people. I mean, our face is our avatar in our culture, in our society, right? It's how we interact. It's how we indicate whether we're in a good mood or a bad mood. And we, you know, signal to others that we want to say hi or be hugged or whatever it might be, you know? And so this is really, really um, insidious 
thing that they've done um, to dehumanize us. Um, I want to just say something because, you know, I have to run in just a yeah. second, but this is super important. You know, one of our most important cases is a case against the Los Angeles Unified School District. We sued them over their EUA shot, but we've also sued them over their 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 vaccine mandate that's been in place for two years. They just rescinded the mandate two, day, two days ago in response to our lawsuit, which led to them getting eviscerated by the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals on September 14th. And I'm sharing this because the issue about this lawsuit is who gets to decide. We have a lawsuit from 1905 that says that the state has the right in extreme situations to mandate a shot or fine you. But all of the more recent case law says that you have the right to bodily autonomy. You have the right to refuse unwanted medical treatment, life-saving and life-extending medical treatment. It's very, very clear. So there's this conflict in case law, Supreme Court case law, and it needs to be reconciled. And our case against the Los Angeles Unified School District is pushing the courts to clarify Jacobson and also to update, to basically clarify this, this reconcile this conflict that exists. And this is so important because it feeds right into what we're talking about today and our mission at HFDF, which is to help everyone to understand that not only do they have the right to bodily autonomy, but that the government understands that it cannot violate that. Hmm. So that's why this case and our work at HFDF, healthfreedomdefense.org is so important. And I hope people who are listening will go and join our newsletter or become a member for $10 or support our work. Um, these lawsuits are very expensive, but we do them because they serve the public interest. They serve every American in some way. And we hope that they further protect all of our rights and literally handcuff the government from infringing them in the future. Well, thank you so much, Leslie, for being here. We appreciate your time. We know you've got to run. Um, so we'll be following you and um, be sure to include all of these links in our show notes so that um, people can find you. Thank you so much, so. you guys. What a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you. All right. Well, that was a fantastic conversation. Thank you again to Leslie for joining us. Um, the one thing that really came to mind is in addition to the um, idea of being virtuous, you know, that we're doing this for the greater good. It also, um, the underlying message is protecting, right? Protective, like the government's protecting you. And so we've um, allowed ourselves to think that protection is almost the highest virtue, that we shouldn't ever expect to not be um, injured, that we shouldn't expect to be ill or that we shouldn't have to accept an idea that might go against our own. And so that um, really stood out to me too in this conversation was the idea that we have to be protected by the government and that is not the role of government to protect us. Um, there is there to ensure that we can flourish as humans and that um, to expand our freedoms, not restrict them. Um, so with that, um, before we head out, um, Mary, tell us a little bit about um, Local Activist Accelerator and then I'm gonna share about the new campaign that we just launched. Okay, yeah, that was a great conversation. And she had some some great tips on um, you know, what you can do, how you can engage with people. And um, I guess that's just a good segue into what we're offering at Local Activist Accelerator, which is a platform, a community platform, where you can come in and get on-demand training uh, on how to effectively have this kind of conversation social conversation with people or just with strangers, you know, family, strangers, colleagues, uh, anything that's going on in the public square. Whenever this comes up, 
get trained on how you can stage your discourse and how you can deal with bullies. And if it's appropriate for you, we also have training on how you can build a team of trained activists who can get out there and begin to push back and defend against this oppression and this, um, <laughs> this violation of our unalienable rights. So uh, we just welcome you to come in there and look around and learn. We just need you to learn. We want you to feel comfortable. We want you to get out there and stand in the liver. Absolutely. And um, coming up in October, Mary's going to be featuring a um, special segment, um, a theme for the month on fallacies. And so this is a great way too to brush up on your uh, propaganda um, knowledge and how to spot fallacies. And so we'll be having some fun with that. And then, um, like I mentioned, we just launched a new campaign called um, Not not Then, Not Now, Not Ever. And um, it is our new sticker product that we have in our store, citizensforfreespeech.store. This is a sticker that features the artwork of um, Ben Garrison, who's a political cartoonist. And this image, I think, um, really captures what we, you know, all as a, you know, as members of CFFS, as um, uh, team members that this, this image really captures the fear, the the confusion, the unknown um, future when we when we submit to wearing a mask. And so we want to um, help people recognize that there this is not about health; it's about control. And this is a tool that you can use to share that message and um, help support citizens for free speech at the same time. So those are available in sets of four um, for fifteen dollars, and then there's discounts for two or more. And again, those are available at citizensforfreespeech.store. And with that, we've had a little bit of an extended um, stand and deliver today, but I think the conversation was worth it. So thank you to everyone for joining us. And we look forward to seeing you on Local Activist Accelerator or um, during our next episode of Stand and Deliver. See you next time. Stand and deliver. You let them put the fear on you. Stand and deliver Another word you